Hey, this is Vadim reminding you to check out our free digital recording basics ebook at howtorecordyourband.com. It is a great starter for people who are interested in getting into recording and don't know where to start. I guarantee that if you know how to use a computer, this ebook will make digital recording accessible for you. You will understand what's going on, you'll understand the major components, and it will make your life a lot easier. If you're already a veteran, then it can be a nice reference handbook for you. So check that out at howtorecordyourband.com. You know, from the perspective of your recording rig, there's really only two sides to recording. There's the input side and the output side. Right? The input side is everything from what you're playing to the instrument that you're playing it on to your signal chain that you're using, you know, microphones, preamps, and so on. And of course, the other side is the output side, which is how you're able to gauge what you've recorded. So this can be your headphones or speakers that you're using, the acoustics of the room you're sitting in, and perhaps most importantly, your ears, which are the gateway to your brain for sound. If you care about recording and music, which I'm assuming you do since you're listening to this podcast, you probably care about your hearing and the way you perceive sound. That is what today's episode is about. Today, Ben and I are speaking to Davies Roberts. Davies is the founder, CEO, and lead inventor at Flare Audio, which is a small company based out of the UK. And Flare Audio's tagline is Long Live Ears, which is a nice high-level overview of their mission statement, which can be summarized as enhancing the way that we experience sound. So they do this through an array of, of products ranging from the obvious ones like speakers and headphones to some less obvious ones like passive ear inserts. In fact, they sent us a couple of passive ear inserts to, to test, and you can hear our review of those inserts in the bonus episode uh, that's released together with this episode. Now, in this episode, we talk about a number of different things. We talk about how Flare Audio got its start through reinventing the loudspeaker, which they see as a, a kind of a flawed system component. You'll you'll be interested in, in hearing Davey's perspective on that. We also talk about hearing in general. You know, how do we perceive sound and why there is really a problem intrinsic to the way our ears are structured? The geometry of our ears actually distorts a certain part of the frequencies spectrum, which makes what we hear less objective than we think. And we talk a little bit about some of the uh, ear inserts that Flare has developed to help solve this problem. We talk about how to use these tools in the context of a recording studio. And this has really had me thinking the past couple of days. I'm sure Ben and I will talk about this more in the future. We also talk about the importance of protecting our hearing and how musicians and engineers can be more aware of the health of their hearing. And we talk a little bit about the future of listening, I guess, for lack of a better term. You know, this was a really fascinating episode. Davies has this characteristic that a lot of inventors have, which is that everybody's kind of standing, looking at the same scene, and a certain type of person is able to go around from the side and view it from a totally different perspective. And then that perspective allows them to actually improve, reinvent what everybody else is seeing. And it's, it's a character trait I admire a lot. And you'll, you'll get the sense for how 
Davies' mind works a little bit, and it's uh, it's really fascinating to hear the way he approaches something we all know and love, which is audio and hearing. Enjoy the episode. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, Davies, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Fadim. How are you doing? Doing well. Listeners of our podcast will know that Ben and I are a bit of a contradiction. On the one hand, we're <laughs> DIY through and through. And in fact, we run pretty lean in our studios. But on the other hand, we're huge science nerds. We love cool tech. We love innovative solutions. And I think probably once a month, Ben, one of us will get a text message from the other one that says, hey, did you check out product A? It's using uh, quantum entanglement to make your snare drum sound better, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) So yeah, we're huge nerds on this stuff and Flare Audio definitely falls into this category for us where you guys have some really innovative solutions to some problems related with human hearing that most people, ourselves included, probably don't even know exist or aren't aware of. So we invited you on to talk about the mechanics of human hearing, why we have some bugs in addition to all these wonderful features. But before we do that, maybe you can just give us your background and a little bit of the origin story of Flare Audio. Yeah, so I started Flare Audio in 2010, uh, where I found the company. But the, the story really starts about 2005. See, before that, I was a fireman for 13 years, and uh, before that, a lifeboatman. So I was always into uh, service and saving people, helping people, being sort of very practical type of person. Um, And then in 2005, Naomi um, was working with some under-18s at a a council event, and um, there was some audio that needed to be done, so it was a live gig. And uh, I said, hey, I got to go, and I rented some speakers and uh, did, did the show. Before I knew it, I was in professional audio and uh, 2007 <laughs> started to pay a hire company and then um, got involved with some seriously quite large uh, rock bands like Mark Ronson, KTB, um, different bands like that at different levels. And it was about 2008, 2009, I started to realize that it sound wasn't performing well and um, it was very hit and miss. It was very... Um, unreliable i think is is the right word um it was unreliable in the recording studio it was unreliable in uh, devices we listened to it was unreliable at gigs and i think gigs really demonstrate the problem well with audio because one day it can be really clean and clear another days it can be um muddy not sounding great, people can't hear in this direction, people can't hear in that direction, very unstable. And so I started Flare Audio to identify what was going wrong. And um, I took a real simplistic approach because I, I left school at 15 with no qualifications. Um, I cannot be taught um, fundamental things. Um, I have to learn myself because I have a general distrust in um, information that I'm presented. I have to really understand things uh, at a real finite level. I probably have some kind of monospectrum somewhere in some kind of autism uh, band, but um, I'm very 
passionate about getting precisely the right um, information. So I started Flare and I, I soon became aware that um, the entire audio industry are guessing um, that loudspeakers are made just like this. And <laughs> we have wardrobes in the sky with vibrating yeah. diaphragms, which creates a nice humming instrument. So loudspeakers were, were being formed using acoustic principles, which were basically, hey, let's guess and let's use a pe person with golden ears to tell us whether this is good or not. And so I realized that's the problem. We haven't understood what's wrong with loudspeakers. And so um, I started my journey into identifying it. Very fascinating. I can sort of tell you like about the, the early stages of that, or I don't know how you want to, <laughs> what, what you want to know. I don't I could rattle on for hours. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. We, we love to rattle on for hours. That's what we're actually famous for on this podcast. But <laughs> I actually, I didn't ask you this when we spoke offline, but do you have any experience in, in producing or as a, as a musician? No, no, I have experience as a sound engineer um, right. because those that first gig that I went to, uh, I engineered a band and I mm. fell in love with engineering. I had no idea what I was doing behind this 48-channel desk that I'd borrowed oh and God. that I hand-soldered the cables for um, and uh, just mixed the band, but became very aware that what I was creating was intoxifyingly amazing. I was listening for all the bits that I didn't want in the track and, and creating what I wanted. And the mm. band were really impressed. They were, they were Cooper um, at the time. They were the first uh, unsigned band in the top 40. Um, so they had a mm. bit of a bit of a momentum going. And um, the very next week, they were the opening the Isle of Wight main stage festival, and they, I'm their engineer now. <laughs> so That's <my> crazy. <laughs> suddenly, cool. they were like, we want you to be our engineer. And next thing, I'm, I'm opening the Isle of Wight main stage of 50,000 people. So if that isn't blagging a position and, and putting yourself in the deep end, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting nervous just hearing it. Go ahead, Ben. I think, it's, uh, I think it's really cool that you came from that perspective of not being a musician, because obviously... You saw some things and, and well, I say, I say see some things, but really you heard some things from a different perspective than maybe the rest of us musicians. And I think it's also interesting that you kind of, you paint this picture of in professional audio, it just sounds to me like, well, people just threw speakers in wardrobes in the sky because that's the materials they had available and nobody really thought about, is this the optimal way to design a speaker? They just put it together because it worked for the time being and nobody thought twice about it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that's acoustic theory. You know, it's, it's, it's make something resonate. And I, I get that in terms of the artists and the instruments and the beautiful pianos and the guitars and all these different mm. things that resonate. That's where you want the beauty of resonation. But a loudspeaker is a system component. We wouldn't accept a microphone that resonated or a mixer or mm. an amplifier. Um, we don't want to apply whole reverb to everything that we've just, you know, created. So that was, that was my realization that, that we've got a real significant, um, fundamental problem with the invention itself. Um, and it's dating back over a hundred years. So that, that, that was really the, the, the moment where I thought, oh my God, we got a, we got a big job here. This is not just <laughs> pro audio. This is, um, every form of audio.
Hmm. Yeah, it's it's like it's like putting the cart before the horse in a sense where something like guitar amplifiers or speaker systems now we're compensating we're finding ways to tune the box or you know different maybe guitar cabinets made from different woods have different sounds but really we're just playing with this idea of resonance and it sounds like you went back to the really the first principle of it which is to say why do we need this resonance can we replicate sound in a cleaner way right yeah, I mean, it, it, I also saw later on in my journey with Flair, I also saw producers uh, in the studio going through a lot of, lot of pain to produce tracks. And their frustrations are, well, well, look, we're creating this amazing track, but we know that it's going to be played back on crappy equipment. Mm. Um, not only that, they have to have about a dozen different loudspeakers to test it on to make sure that it sounds averagely okay. And that, to me, I, I still to this day remember the, 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 the moment I became aware of that pain. And it, it troubles me um, because, you know, if you've got a lot of commitment, a lot of soul, a lot of passion going into creating art, the last thing we need is this blurred... Um, these blood glasses in terms of our ears. So, mm. yeah, that, that was really what sort of firmly um, created this drive in me to make sure that we develop technology that can address it. That's great. So probably to the, the chagrin of, of many of our listeners, we do like to start from the very beginning, usually from concepts. So we've done a couple of episodes where we've talked about hearing, uh, you know, we can assume that I think listeners are familiar with the fact that Sound emanates from a source, it travels as waves of vibrating air molecules, and that it behaves much like other waves in that it experiences constructive and destructive interference as waves pass through each other and bounce off of surfaces. And we know that not all frequencies are equal. Right? So if you walk by a nightclub, you hear the low frequencies because they travel through material easier than high frequencies. So we have a little bit of grounding, but we never really talk in detail about what happens in the ears or once what sound waves are reaching your ears. So Davies, feel free to elaborate on any of that basic framework or take us to the ear itself and what happens as sound approaches it. Okay, so the way that it, it really comes down to the way that I started developing our technology because uh, back in 2012 when space technology and vortex technology came to being. Um, and I'll give a brief explanation. Yeah, please. And so the first is um, space technology. Um, this is an incredibly simple technology, but what we, what the patent does is it, we have bolts that go all the way through two aluminum plates and we clamp the loudspeaker. The principle here is if we clamp and apply force in this direction, it stops movement in this direction. It means that we can take lightweight materials clamp them, we get to a certain force, and it resonates as one. We unify the resonance of the structure. So that's quite, quite well known in physics in terms of uh, mechanical engineering. You know, once you get to a certain point, you create a unified resonance of a structure when you clamp it. So that's our first patent. That stops the sides of a loudspeaker from resonating independently. Um, because if you've got a diaphragm going backwards and forwards, you want this whole structure behind to react 
in a uniform way. You don't want it to react in an independent way because mm -hmm. independence equals chaos in terms of uh, vibration. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, and this is another thing that's been overlooked by or ignored by acoustic theory, and that it's to do with pressure. So as a loud speaker driver goes backwards into an enclosure, it creates a pressure. And as it goes forwards, it creates a vacuum. That's not equal in terms of energy. So uh, to pull a vacuum is almost linear in terms of an energy requirement, but to pull, uh, to push a vacuum, to push a compression or to push a, um, to create a compression is uh, exponential in terms of energy requirement. So that means that what happens to a driver as it's going backwards and forwards, it no longer moves in a symmetrical way. It wants to go more forwards than backwards. Hmm. And that uh, distorts the symmetry of sound, which gives us an asymmetric waveform through every loudspeaker that's got a sealed enclosure. So the second technology is called Vortex, and uh, it's, it's like this. I'll try and show you. Yeah, we could see that. Very cool. Okay. So what, what you've basically got is uh, two rows of vortices. And um, in order to develop this technology, which took about a year and a half, took about 18 months, I was really struggling because I was like, I need, I need to create an exhaust on my loudspeaker, but that exhaust can't have a back pressure. If it has a back pressure, it's going to interfere with the driver, um, which was found out in the 30s. So I, I really pushed my brain. It was one moment where I started to think at a particle level, and it was that particle level which enabled me to develop this and pretty much a, a dozen other patents that we've now got rolling out. And what it means is, basically, I imagine a particle, especially low frequency uh, particles, it's got a long sort of meter, two meter wavelength. These particles push into the vortices. And as they're going around, because they're going so fast, their exit is in the opposite direction. And this creates uh, a physics phenomenon known as Venturi. So if you, going back to my fire brigade days, if I wanted to clear smoke out of a room, I would smash a hole in the window and put a jet out the window, and that would entrain the air out of the room. It's widely used across the world in fire fighting um, te techniques. Mm. Um, in fact, Dyson uses it on one of his fans. He uses the principles of Venturi. Um, mm. So what it means is fast-moving particles um, entrain uh, the other particles around them, so dr it drags, creates friction and drags the particles, which means that it can't go it can't suddenly stop and go back the other way sound doesn't do that sound will only reflect off a surface or deteriorate over time so these particles if they're going fast become trapped in these little acoustic capacitors and if they're going slow they just move straight through mm. so it, mm -hmm. it's basically a speed silencer anything that's going fast gets trapped and it's going slow doesn't um and what that means is now the driver's got um symmetrical movement and so it was that developing those technologies which made me understand how to um, how to really master and and develop technology around sound that actually works uh, rather than guessing. And from that moment on, every single pattern and technology we've used the, the particle principles. We've uh, developed our technology, and 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 it, and it works <laughs> um, straight off the bat. Um, so that, that, that's really the approach, and that's the reason why Flare exists, is because we're approaching these things from a particle level. 
Um, now we we developed all this great technology in Pro Audio, but um, I I misjudged that that Pro Audio is a is resistant resistive to uh, new technology. Um, they really don't want to take risks. They are a small industry with a, a small amount of players heavily invested in traditional technology. So why they're going to embrace new technology or not is is it, it was a, I misjudged that. So we had to pivot in order to survive, and we went we went and gone on crowdfunding and started to look at earphones, and that's when we developed our first earphone, the Jet, which uses Jet to control the piston again on pressure, so that you get uh, a linear drive movement, which means you get that mirror image. Is that a similar problem, by the way, in headphones as you just described in speakers? Yep, yeah, exactly the same problem, um, and that's why you have open back uh, headphones. It's because they're releasing mm. pressure on the uh, on the on the rear of the driver there, um, and not creating resonance of the of the can. Um, problem though is you've got a resonance on the other side of the driver where your ear is. <laughs> True. So, oh, good point. So yeah, I never thought it, about it, that. Headphones have got a double problem. <laughs> hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we released that and then that established flair. And then, then we started to realize um, that actually it, hearing protection's got a similar problem in that bits of foam are being used to dampen sound rather than trying to block sound. And it really then, from that moment on, we realized flair was not, we're not a loudspeaker company. We're not just a loudspeaker company. We're actually all about the ears and we're all about the sense of vibration and that really took us to the point where we are now which is where we've just introduced karma and we're just uh, introducing ear hd and a raft of other um ear related uh, technologies so um the ear which is what you asked me about in the question <laughs> um, um the ear the ear has got a real problem none of us can hear high definition sound um, and none of us can hear high definition sound because we have two chambers inside our ear, one just behind the tragus uh, and one as it turns uh, into the inner ear canal. And then we have varying sizes of ear canal and various lengths of ear canal. All that means is we've got these resonators in our ear. And when I say resonators, I don't say that lightly. The ear adds about 21 dB of mid-range resonation uh, and high-frequency resonation. And um, it can be identified really easily by um, listening to fingers on a chalkboard or uh, a child screaming or those songs that make you wince. You know, that different frequencies <laughs> will kick different people, but mm -hmm. um, it, it's, that's because 21 decibels is being added uh, to, to that particular frequency inside your own ears. Hmm. What that means on a particle level is, is, um, was really our biggest breakthrough uh, to date. And that means that uh, as sound is entering our ear, it's really quite shocking how f high frequencies even actually get in our ear because their wavelength is so small that as they go into our chambers and the chaotic bouncing around that's going on, you've got to say, how on earth do we even hear anything above 8K? Well, we don't really hear anything above 8k we just hear a smear um and mm -hmm. at, at best a, a wisp and um mm -hmm. so i realized that and um we're now developing a way of well we, we've released karma and 
what that technology does. Uh, in fact, EarHD and Karma are very similar. Karma um, calms the sound that we hear. EarHD enhances the sound that we hear. Um, and they do it because as you put the, the device in your ear, it mathematically corrects the flawed um, natural human ear in order to get the, the high-frequency sound in more accurately. Hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I've heard you talk about, in, in some videos, you mentioned this idea of distortion. And in fact, I think that's one of your, your taglines is we, you try to understand distortion at the molecular level. But we also know that there's things like you know, there's a reverb decay time versus a constructive interference. What is it in this upper mid frequency band that's causing this 21 dB accentuation? It's decay. It's decay sound. So um, I'll give you an example. If you think of a, um, a wave on the ocean and you were to send that wave and a point A to point B, that wavefront that you see traveling through is 100% accurate if it doesn't hit. If you now send it into a chamber and measure that first wavefront, you'll see that as it goes around the ear chamber, or, or the chamber of what we're trying to say is the ear canal, mm -hmm. you can then see that, that wave decay right back. And it's that decay of over frequency, which equals the boosting of those frequencies. So this is where frequency response, I think, has been part of the problem in terms of um, sound. Because if I show you a flat frequency response, that doesn't mean good quality sound. It just means that we've managed to dampen any uh, destructive or constructive interference and get to the point where it's flat in terms of energy. But what it's not showing you is how much of that energy you're hearing is decayed energy. And it's that decayed energy which adds the smearing, especially around mid and high frequencies. Mm. Interesting. So it is, it, is a, it is a smearing effect. In other words, there is less definition in that frequency range in addition to this boost. Or is it really just a boost that, that we're hearing? Um, so in high frequencies, the, the, the detail is all there and it's waiting to be discovered. Um, in fact, people that have cochlear implants can hear it. Um, if you talk to anyone who's ever had a cochlear implant, they describe super high definition sound. It's because the sound is being plugged straight into their brain. Um, I had a, a very interesting chat, chat with a person that... Um, that had this and she said she described her sound as being a bit robotic but very very high definition hmm. and so that the details all there waiting to be unveiled which is the, which is our challenge you know we are um we're wanting to um to get to that point now we, we are already in r d very close to it um we have already um got a technology in the background which we're working on which enables us to to hear significantly more, but there's a lot of work going on. Um, we're not, it's probably going to take a year to 18 months to get to that point with it. Mm. But um, the, the details all there. It's just that what you are, what we're all hearing is decayed and uh, it's not all in line. So um, it would be, be a bit like wearing completely wearing blurred glasses all the time. And um, for me as a, an inventor and for, for, 
engineers and artists, we all have to sort of imagine what the sound's going to be like until we actually get to that position. With with, re, with regard to this effect and this 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 boost and which frequency range is affected, how consistent is it from ear to ear? In other words, is the the boost mm. that I experience when I hear nails on a chalkboard the same as you and Ben experience, or is it different? Uh, every single person is different. It's uh, an organic structure, so that organic structure has tiny changes in in uh, shape, size. We we all hear completely different sound, and that's another challenge mm. for me. Is I want to uh, make make music experience universal. It's another sort of one of our ultimate goals is to get to the point where we have a tool that you can put in your ear and hear identical or as close as we can make it to the person next year. Mm. Yeah. So so maybe for uh, for people who aren't familiar with the the Calmer and H, uh, Ear HD products, maybe just describe them and the mechanism by which they attempt to solve these problems this resonance problem this decay problem yeah okay so the two are um i almost uh, they're very similar they're not identical um and let's talk about karma at the, at the start so we, we realized when we started identifying the resonance that was in our ears we realized that there was significantly more resonance in our ears than there were in even some loudspeakers so we 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 I started developing prototypes, and for me, um, I started out by wanting to um, remove this resonance to get a higher sound quality. And so that's how it started its R and D journey. And it was one day when I was coming back from London at a meeting, and I popped Karma uh, in or the prototype for Karma in my ears on the um, Bakerloo line uh, underground in London, and. I, I went speechless because I, I, I hmm. listened to what was the screaming underground tracks become <laughs> like mastering recording. And I was like, oh, my. Oh, gosh. That, I was like, this is, this is suddenly there was a whole dawn of realization in the space of about five minutes because suddenly I was aware that I was making myself more relaxed in, in a sound that I would normally hate. I then went outside, listened to motorbikes, buses, cars, all the noises, and it was all just like, oh, sit me down and I'll happily listen to this all day long. And I was, I was aware that I wasn't being triggered. I, I, my mm. stress reaction wasn't triggering. I wasn't feeling um, annoyed, frustrated. I was feeling happy. And, um, and for me, that was like, oh, we've hit something way more important than, you know, sound quality here. We've hit we've hit on some kind of um, stress reduction. So um, the moment I could get on Wi-Fi, I, I jumped on the internet and started doing research. And um, because I was already aware that sound has an ability to trigger us. If you, um, if you get a, a rescue an animal and the animal's in a high sound situation, you'll probably kill it. And you know, we've got to keep things quiet and calm and we want to calm them down. Um, but I was also aware that loud sound isn't a stress trigger if it's beautiful. And so I was already in this situation where I wondered what distortion was. And so you know, I did this research that, um, and I found this 182-page document by the WHO um, published in 2018. In fact, you can Google search it, um, and it's um, 
WHO noise, um, I think it's noise regulations or it's noise, I can't remember the exact terminology of the report, but if you just type in WHO and noise, you'll find it. And in that document, they are linking and proving beyond any doubt that um, noise is the second biggest killer only to air pollution. And I was gobsmacked when I read that. And in it, it was saying that 45 to 55 dB, so 10 dB increase of traffic noise leads to a significant increase in obesity, stroke, stress, uh, heart attacks, all kinds of ailments that we're all suffering from. Um, and they then refer to wind turbines, they refer to industrial noise, they're referring to all types of different noise, but just everyday traffic noise. And I, I, it was suddenly a trigger moment where I was like, this isn't, this isn't sound that's doing this. This is distortion, and this is distortion in our ears that's doing this. Um, because this, this device that we've got, this organic structure in our ears, was never designed to listen to music. It was mm-hmm. always designed to trigger a stress response. And so when we're in the wild, when we're walking along and uh, we hear a threat, it's designed to kick off adrenaline release down our spine so that we immediately react to any threat. Mm. We're not designed to be put into cities. We're not designed to be put into music events. We're not, our bodies are not, are not able to do that without having consequences. And, and so there's this massive push in, in the EU about trying to make people aware about this noise and they're designing cities to be quieter. They are, trying to make everything quiet in order to save people in Mm. order to reduce you know all the health consequences that come from you know increase of noise and so that was the point where i realized this is a medical device this was a device that Mm. we could put in our ears in order to reduce the stress response that we are we are getting from um from everyday sounds but Obviously, at this point, you know, we're going at 500 mile an hour here in terms of R&D and in terms of breakthroughs. And I I was also aware that we are only a small company. We're 23 people based on the south coast of the UK. We have great ambitions and we have a great, you know, following and we're very pleased about, you know, our progress. But, you know, we don't have an infinite amount of money and we have to get products to market promptly in order to continue our journey. I know that Vadim and I want to give our more detailed reviews of the Commerce and uh, the Ear HDs maybe later, but I just want to give you maybe really quickly my experience putting them in. And thank you for the the samples that you sent us, by the way. Um, sure. It was really generous. Um, yeah. But I popped them in while I think it was nine o'clock at night. I was just watching some TV and working on my laptop just to try them out. And we were actually watching, me and my wife were watching... Um, kitchen nightmares in the background so we've got gordon ramsay screaming at people in the kitchen if anybody's familiar with him he's very aggressive very much triggering type of voice (laughs) you know just yelling at people i don't think i ever equated that you know whenever you hear somebody yell at you or somebody's angry that that not only is triggering because you're feeling the emotion of the person but it's triggering because you're hearing those specific frequencies that evolutionarily our ears are designed to make our bodies react in that way you were describing so well and it kind of eliminated that and it it was so instantaneously like 
apparent to me that that's what the device was doing. It just really kind of blew my mind. And not only did it kind of eliminate that physical response of just anxiety, but it allowed me to focus on what I was doing more and not be as distracted by uh, the environment that was happening. So yeah, well done. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, one of the, just on that sensitivity uh, side of things, um, one thing we've become aware of just in the last two weeks is these are having a huge uh, impact and benefit to autistic people. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm autistic myself and I know that the certain types of autism are just very sensitive, we're very sensitive to things. And what we're finding is a lot of those, a lot of that stress reduction is happening around that group of people. And, and it makes you stop whenever you read mm. um, comments on uh, that we get. I mean, I'm getting long, lengthy emails from people uh, about the difference it's made for them. Um, I, I even find it hard to read it because it's like, yeah, I never, I never set out to do this, and um, it circles itself back into the whole fire brigade thing. And for me, yeah, that that relaxation, that de-stressing is, it's frustrating for some of us, but it's life changing for other people. And yeah. and I, I had no idea that um, that people were suffering so much in terms of sound. So yeah, it's it's quite a shock. Even now, it's quite a shock. <laughs> Yeah, I can I can imagine just extrapolating from my own experience. I, I I am very sensitive to frequencies in that range, and in fact, for about five or six years now, I I never am without a pair of earplugs on my keychain, because even in like restaurants or bars, when back when that was a thing, I can't even remember the last time I was in an establishment like that. But I would constantly be putting th these things in, and my family would always kind of look at me like. <laughs> what's this guy doing? But it, it was very stressful for me. I could kind of feel my shoulders tense up. So I'm just saying from this, from the standpoint of, I have people in my family who don't seem to be bothered by this at all. Then I have myself where like a cell phone speakerphone conversation, I can't make it quiet enough because it's so grating to me. And uh, I can extrapolate that out even further and see how it can really be debilitating to, uh, to people's lives. So uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. So as Ben said, we'll probably do a, a full review a little bit later, but just talk about the maybe the principles of how these devices work. You mentioned they're similar, and we're actually going to ask you a little bit about the differences because this is something I've been I've been looking at them and trying to understand how they're different. But maybe before that, just talk a little bit about how they work. What's the principle of operation here? Okay, so it's uh, first wave principles is how is how they work. Um, it's about creating a mathematical surface so that the, the wave front of, of each sound wave enters and hits the eardrum in a uniform way. So it's all about calculation of the structure inside, the design of the, the inside of the product that enables us to reflect that sound in. Um, the other, so that, that's the first thing, is about trying to get a uniform reflection. So there's no other really easier way of explaining that other than you know, you, you, you've got a tennis ball and you want to hit it back at the net and you want to hit it in a certain area. Well, you've got, you know, a million tennis balls coming at you. And you need to get them from here over to here in one line. And so there's a, there's a mathematical surface as part of our pattern. The second part of it is to do with the jet. So we have um, 
on the inside of karma, you'll see that hole. We, we refer to it as a jet um, because it's, it, in acoustic terms, you would say port, but it's not, um, it's not a port. It's a, it's, a, it's a jet because it's restricting um, pressure. And what that jet does is it's specifically sized uh, in combination with the um, acoustic lens that we have inside Karma so that as the, the sound waves bounce off the surface and go through the jet, it flattens them and keeps them aligned without de delaying them. Does mm -hmm. that make does that make sense? Trying to explain this in I in I think so. Let me let me see if I I have a little bit of very very rudimentary knowledge in like aerodynamics and the way I think about this is kind of like uh, a wave guide in a sense where you're saying sound entering our ear has to has to turn mm. and you're giving it a nice smooth turning service so that instead of tumbling all around and kind of bouncing in a, in an ununiform way across the frequency spectrum those waves are guided kind of smoothly there's like there's a an usher like when you walk into mm. the theater and the usher is telling <laughs> him right this way please and it, yeah. it maximizes how efficiently they're able to get to their seat so to speak right hang on that's bang on that's exactly right <laughs> okay and it makes sense too from what you said earlier about you know you want you want to guide those higher frequencies in particular because they're the ones that are going to be most affected by sharp angles so this is something Ben and I were chatting about offline. We're curious to get your take on it. So when we talk about like something like EHD versus the calmers, um, either technologically talk about how they're different or even the intended use case of them, how, how it's different. Okay, so they're technically they're different in, in two ways. Um, the material is different and the jet uh, size of the calmer mm. to EHD is different. Okay. Let's talk about rigidity first, because as you put Karma in your ears, it's made from um, a very soft silicon. So it's, it's, it molds itself to the natural in, inside shape of your ear. And that's why these things are universal fitting, is because of the way they mold inside. What that molding means is we're going to get slight deformities of um, the acoustic lens inside of your ear. That means it smears and and calms down the high frequencies. Mm. It actually, the, the, the slight deforming of the lens does exactly the job it needs to do. Now we, we realized that, so then we, we then adjusted the jet size to, it, to enable, so as these, as these high frequencies reduce and smooth out, when it goes through the jet, we, we control that. So we end up with a nice flat response, but a, a a calm top end. Whereas on the flip side, when you look at Ear HD, um, what that product is doing, it's got a hard, in fact, I've got one here. It's got a, it's obviously um, made from acrylic uh, and it's ABS, sorry. Um, and so that, yeah. that again, that's got a hard, hard plastic. So it goes in the ear, it doesn't deform. Mm. And then the, the uh, acoustic lens is precisely now matched to the jet so that when we hear the high frequencies, they're as accurate as they, they can be. Ah, yes. So this makes sense. So, so this is when you and I were talking offline about how do I know my red is your red? Well, we all have these different ears and our different ear structures, different ear geometries, sizes. What, what we're doing with the ear HDs, I guess, is because they're hard, we're effectively giving everybody 
the same access to the sound coming into their ears. We're making the inside geometry of their ears consistent effectively yeah. from person to person, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that so that's the that's the Ear HD 360. Uh, and you've seen on our website there's an Ear HD 90. Um, and so that product was the first of the Ear HD products. In fact, we we launched it on Kickstarter. Stephen Fry had a set um, and you know we 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 got a lot of excitement around that because what what the Ear HD 90 does is it replaces the pinner because part of our there's, there's so many problems to do with our ears, um, but, but <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the, the fundamental ones come down to phase. And so if I'm talking to you and, and you're sat in front of me, as sound uh, comes towards me, it has to reflect off the pinner in order mm -hmm. to get into and behind the tragus and then turn left and then go into our mm -hmm. eardrum. So Ear HD uh, is, is basically a focal lens. So it captures the sound wave or the particle vibration uniformly, reflects it uniformly, and lets it travel inside uniformly. And so it means that when you wear Ear HD and you look at whoever you're talking to, you can hear high definition sound. It's like a D, a D fur. It's a, it's like a, it's like a high definition increase. It's a bit like losing a lens over a vision and being able to, you know, focus in on where you want to look at. That's what Ear HD ninety does. Mm. Mm. So you're you're replacing a basic function of the ear. You're just you're doing it better. Your uh, sound that's coming at you needs instead of reflecting off of your natural ear geometry, it's now kind of has this nice uh, uniform guide that's designed for that purpose. It, exactly, exactly. So we we are basically we are addressing uh, all the problems that the ear has uh, from in terms of how we can hear mirror image sound and it's see there's no there's been no nobody's ever gone here before because the um we've either had ear trumpets which are designed to amplify whatever we want to hear or we've had different sound producing devices but no one's focused on keeping that wavefront locked and that's what we're yeah. that's what we're on about very cool yeah it is very cool well since we are a recording podcast, let's maybe talk about these products a little bit in that context. And this is something, again, Ben and I have been chatting about is like, okay, what are our use cases here? What, what are the applicable applications? For Calmer, for me, it's been very obvious. I have a couple mm -hmm. of scenarios I know I cringe away from, and the Calmers have, have helped me a lot in those, in those situations. But let's talk about it in a, either a studio context or a live music context. What are the use cases you see, Davies? Okay, so apart from the, the obvious health and well-being ones, um, mm -hmm. you uh, if you wear them just every day in the office and stuff, you you obviously feel a lot more relaxed, a lot more calmer. You you, you you think clearer. And I I've been aware of loading uh, on the human body and the human mind um, for the last three years. I've lost six stone. I eat um, organic uh, vegetables and food now i i've basically been i've realized that the more we can eat uh, as nature intended the the better we think the clearer we think the less anxiety we have the more the less depression we have that it, it, it rattles off and the same thing happens with sound the more we can reduce that the, the better we'll feel but in terms of how that extrapolates into the music side well i don't know because of lockdown it really it really screwed up 
um, <laughs> the, 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 the R&D that was happening. Now, there was one gig, one gig that I went to, and it was Hot Chip, um, and we listened to Ear HD and Karma at that gig, hmm. and it was mind-blowing. Pro Audio, because you're up at 95, 100 dB, and you've got resonance of the building, you've got resonance of this, resonance of that, it, it generally ends up as a mess. And so you put these things in, and you're taking away a huge chunk of resonance. It was like a giant hi-fi. And so we have yet to see um, people take these to shows or to right. go to concerts or tours. And we are very aware that once they do, it's going to be a very interesting time. Just to jump in there real quick, um, I was talking to Vadim about this offline a little bit, and I tried out the EHD 90s. And I was thinking to myself, I think the best application would be a live. Yeah, you're right. Um, EHD 90 was developed um, to be, you know, a, to, to focus on what we want to look at. And, and, it, and it really works, especially if you are at the back of um, or the middle of a venue where it's got really poor acoustics or if you've got um, a really horrible resonance going on. Because the problem is that not only do we not hear sound very well from the front, but we hear sound almost perfectly from the sides. And so uh, it means that mm -hmm. our ears are more sensitive to, to sound coming this way than they are this way. So in the acoustic space, that's not what you want. You know, you really don't right. want that. You really want to be doing that yeah. at a show. <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah, I, that, that's a good point. So, would you see like, um, you know, a front of house engineer or something like that? This, this is, um, this would help, I assume. That's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to look forward and hear the detail of of the rig. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. For it's a tool. Uh, it's a toolkit for an engineer um, to mm -hmm. be able to um, just drill into uh, more detail. I think, moreover than that, from a punter's point of view, you know. It, you've come to hear the artists, not hear someone screaming next to you. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, although, you know, that's quite enjoyable too. Sometimes if it's a big crowd, you know, when you're struggling to hear the artists, if you've got a mm. set of your HD nineties in your pocket, you can, you can drill in another 10, 12 DB and you can, you can hear more, more information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Is there any, um, sound attenuation that happens with these devices when they're in your ear in terms of just like SPL? Yes. Yes, there is. Um, it's it, well, with that 21 dB of boosting that you get, you know, there's well, a big, yeah. big chunk of that's taken away. So sure. there's a, there's a small amount of attenuation in your HD 90. Um, and that's purely because it, the way the sounds getting in through the lens and in, reflected in and through the jet there's obviously going to be some inefficiencies there but um from a karma and ear hd perspective it's very subtle as you've probably trialed yourself you it's it's very unnoticeable when you first wear them and it's if you did it in a quiet room or just with a gentle talking you would you'd struggle to spot the difference yeah that was exactly my experience actually is i you know i put them on and my house is generally quiet and it wasn't until i the first test I did was walk on a on a busy street that is in my town that I usually avoid because it's loud and annoying, and that's that was the first time that I I felt I noticed the difference. I think I, I walked with them for half a mile and then I took them out and walked for half a mile and I was like, huh, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 takes a bit. I mean, we we 
people have got to know what they're listening for, you know, because yeah. because distortion removal, as we all know, in in you know when they're creating art and producers and engineers, you know, if you've taken the distortion away, you're like, well, what's 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 left? You know, what have I done? What have I taken out? I can't hear anything different. There's still the same instruments in there, but this distortion's gone. And so, you we what we do to to, to to really make this clear to people who are struggling is you put your iPhone on speakerphone, you play a track, and then uh, take Karma out your ears, having had them in your ears, and then you'll see immediately where what all this distortion that you've suddenly gotten rid of. Cool. So let's say I'm going to be recording a loud guitar amp. Should I be using something like EarHD to get the true essence of what I'm recording, or not because I know that most likely my listeners are going to be listening on their crappy cell phone anyway. <laughs> well, the jury will be out on this um, because part of me would say, yes, I, 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 as an engineer, I would absolutely want to take my own personal distortion out of the mix mm. and hear it so that I can judge how it sounds in, in raw form. But then I also know engineers who rely on their ears and their reference as a reference point. And so um, take that reference away and things could get um, unstable in terms of how they then mix and produce the track. But, you know, to put a device in your ear and hear the real resonances rather than your own ear resonances, um, I think is a valuable tool. For producers so i'm gonna i'm gonna say yeah i think i think you should listen to that guitar with the device in your ears because you want to hear the resonances of that cabinet and the and the strings and how it really sounds i think that's a great answer because yeah like you said i don't think i would wear them 100 percent of the time but as a tool to reference and say okay this is a more true representation of what's happening than what my ears are doing and that's just just good to know yeah we've got some we got some more products coming and we're, we're working on the professional aspects of it as well. So we, we, we realize that and we want to create, um, we want to create tools as well as devices that punters can use. Yeah. Well, maybe we, you know, we can, we can edit this out or not, but feel free to say as much or as little as you want about <laughs> the future of flare audio, where you guys are headed and where you're, where you're focusing your energies. Yeah, I'll absolutely say where we're headed. I mean, we 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 want to become the the the, the brand that enables us to improve the way we hear. Um, we uh, our, our tagline is "Long Live Ears." Um, we stand by that, and we um, we want to enable um, artists to get connect with um, the people who consume their art in the most defined ways possible. We also now want to help people um, reduce stress triggers and um, improve the way that people hear sound. And, you know, the hearing aid industry hasn't, it, it helps people in terms of turning everything up. But as you know, in, you know, in, in engineering terms, you can't just keep turning everything up. You know, you're going to go more and more yeah. depth if you do that. And, mm -hmm. and so... I think there are other ways to um, let people hear more, especially as they start to lose the sensitivity of their hearing by simple mm. passive devices. And, and, you know, that's where we're heading. We want to, we want to become the global leader 
in 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 ear technology. Um, and we've also got you know the, the the earphones and headphones and loudspeakers. We're working on in the background too. So there's there's some exciting developments coming uh, in that direction um, because we obviously have unlocked how to um, create amazing sound in traditional devices. So we're doing that too. Um, but yeah, we, we've got our sights on on becoming a global leader. We're already selling to uh, 186 countries uh, as as, um, as a brand. We uh, only 25% uh, of our sales are in the UK. Uh, our, our co biggest markets, the US, uh, followed by Australia and Canada. So we already have uh, a large following. I think we're just over two million likes now on Facebook. Um, nice, so we we're, we're, we're we're championing away, <laughs> but I want to. I do want to stress that we're not. We, we we're not. Um, as you can probably tell with the way I talk, I'm I'm not a corporate person. I'm a passionate inventor now that's discovered he was an inventor <laughs> later on in his life, um, and we're self-funded. Um, we have uh, all the way through this. We have we've taken on a couple of small uh, angel investors. Um, Sorry, they're not small, that's the wrong word. We've taken on a couple of private investors who are angel investors with a small investment. And we're very, very happy with the relationship we have with them. And we, we're, we're a strong little team. And we want to grow Flair in that way because we, we like to do everything real. We don't like to take on, you know, massive advertising budgets over you know, economical with the truth about what you say about products and all this stuff that you use to grow businesses. Uh, yeah. Now, we're not like that. We're, we're genuine with what we say. We we mean what we do. Um, we You know, we, everything we do is real. Um, and that makes it hard. It makes it hard on the soul. It makes it hard on the journey. Um, it makes, I mean, I've, I've never had so much stress as I've had in the last 10 years. It's getting easier now as we start to grow and and and, and things things progress, but we still have twenty three um, mouths to feed in in our in our company. We still have investors to uh, look after their investment, and we still have um, a, a growing number of of um, fans across the world that we need to keep informed and keep creating technology for. So it's an it's an awful lot of work. <laughs> yes, it sounds imagine. like a lot of work. It's not it. We don't. We haven't taken the easy route. Is what I'm. What I'm trying to say. You know, it would have been very easy to to pitch this uh, in a, in an investment style and go off and get investment with Flair, but that really wasn't what we're about. And we're about. Yeah. You know, we're trying to do something, and, and you know, we have to prove ourselves along the way. If something doesn't work or if something's not working, then you know, we need to learn and, and identify it now rather rather than you know working out the structure, pitching it, and off it goes and fails. You know, that, that, that's, we want a long-term, long-term company. Yeah, that's very cool. And thanks, thanks for sharing all that too, because I mean, it, it definitely comes across in this interview. You're a very down-to-earth person, DIY, humble. I mean, <laughs> you allowed, allowed us to interview you, and we have a very humble podcast that we're growing. So we very much appreciate it, and it's great talking to like-minded people. Oh, that's, it's wonderful that, um, I, I love, I love talking to real people. You know, that's what we're about. And, and I will always continue to do that. I, we, we all, we're all struggling to, you know, do good things and do, do the right things forward. So I'm, I'm 
absolutely honoured to be on this podcast and have this frank and open chat because you know it's, it's very difficult to do that in 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 the world of media nowadays. Um, mm. And I think that the best way to come across if you're real is to do something real and and be involved mm. and and share it. So this hopefully will, will be of interest to your listeners and. <laughs> You know, hopefully they'll be more interested in our brand and a little bit more interested in your brand. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I think they will. Yeah, I think so. So just on, on product availability, I'm looking at my studio desk and I have these two spots that look a little lonely, like they could use a little maybe paper zero speakers in them or something. What, what's your what's your availability on, you know, between speakers, headphones and the in-ear products? Uh, so zero, you know, zero kind of, breaks my heart because uh, it was five years of development zero and um what that loudspeaker was was uh it was how to create the perfect loudspeaker and as you can see it's layers of recycled paper um aerospace aluminium and i mean it couldn't have a more greener message if you tried and the way it was constructed was beautiful it went uh, and was installed it is installed in selfridge's dolby atmos cinema in london uh there's Very three cool. screens and it sounds absolutely crazy and then it was center place in harrods on their technology floor and everything was 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 ready to go and then COVID came along now mm. um the problem we have is that to develop um and to manufacture and a loudspeaker that is actually six feet tall when it's in its full form is incredibly expensive and sure. um, time-consuming, and you you can't do that commercially. Um, it was it was done as a flagship with a dream to, you know, for stores to take it on and to support it. But but unfortunately, we've had to to mothball it in terms of uh, okay. products for now. Um, that's why it's not on our website anymore. We just c- physically cannot do it ourselves um we need to take on an army of resellers in order to to do it and because of covid that pretty much stopped that development um but we are as i said i I sort of alluded to it a bit earlier on we are working on other alternatives so we we, there there will be sound products available much more affordable uh and super cool coming from flair in the in the near future awesome yeah we, we 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 we've got too much heritage in pro audio and in and and working with great artists and producers not to do some loudspeakers and some some earphones so cool. watch this space yeah all right very good well we want to be mindful of your time davies uh, we we did have um if you do you have a couple of minutes left yeah of course I've, no problem at all <laughs> cool we had we had some questions actually from listeners on our facebook group that i can just pitch to you and um you know feel free to go as long as short as you want uh one was are there any clear warning signs of hearing fatigue or even hearing loss that that people tend to ignore uh in a a short answer it it depends on the way you perceive sound so um going back into gig days if you are not that sensitive with your ears there are very little warning signs and that's where sound can become very dangerous um mm. if you are not that sensitive with your ears and you go to loud gigs and loud shows you could end up without knowing it suddenly having horrendous tinnitus or um 
any other type of ailment that you can get through noise exposure. Any engineer will know that when you when you work in sound, you become aware of what frequencies frustrate you and annoy you. And you also become aware of what systems annoy you, what sounds and what music tastes annoy you. And it's all to do with that resonance in our ears. I think I think even genre of music has 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 come from this resonance of different mm. different types of uh, resonance in people's ears. So no, there are no there are no early warning signs other than becoming aware with your ears, tuning in with your ears, protecting your ears, treating them with the um, respect that they deserve. You wouldn't be looking into an arc welding light without protection on your eyes. So the same thing really applies to your ears. Great. Speaking of tinnitus, I know you mentioned that uh, you mentioned it a little bit. It sounds like people with a certain flavor of it have seen improvements from from calmer. Do you have any other thoughts? This is again a question from one of our listeners on workarounds or remedies. And we know you're not a doctor, so this is not to be seen as medical advice, but just <laughs> just your thoughts from your experience. Far from it. Um, no, uh, right. So tinnitus is a funny thing. Um, I am aware that age uh, can bring on tinnitus. I'm aware that diet can bring on tinnitus um, mm. because ultimately what we've got is a, is a brain with a load of neurons and pathways that connect to our inner ear canal, uh, a cochlea with millions of hairs and, and a way that the brain puts together all those different phase responses and creates coherent sound as we hear it. So, um, with tinnitus, I think that the the earring is almost a bit like where you disconnect a mic and you let a system just hiss and hum. Um, there, there's mm. that way of thinking about it. There's also a way of thinking about it in terms of burning uh, a pixel on a screen. Now, this is where I think that karma might be helping some people. So if you, you're aware, we're aware now of this resonance in our ears, and that resonance will have peaks of frequencies that uh so you'll have the fundamental frequency and then you'll have the harmonics of that mm -hmm. and over time especially with uh noise exposure and day-to-day -day sound those peaks i think will be burning um or uh, in a visual sense burning um our, our retinas in terms of our brain so not retinas <laughs> like they burn our retinas it would it would yeah. be imprinting right those resonant frequencies into our minds. And I think that that's probably got something to do with it. So when you put karma in your ears, if it's at early stages or if you've had some kind of noise exposure or some kind of uh, brain injury, that, that may, may well be what we're, what, what's helping ease it. But it's a guess. And, and it's only a guess because all we're doing is removing resonance out of our ears. So all this can be doing is taking away the resonances that we hear. And so that's mm. why I guess that it's it's helping that. Um, mm. So people have got maybe a blood flow problem to their inner ear canal, or they've got, um, you know, kind of health-related cardiovascular issues in terms of that. I, you know, that's obviously not going to help those people, and it's not going to help people who potentially have done um, damage to their inner ear through severe noise exposure. Um, mm. So it's 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 a really difficult one, and it's it's very frustrating for me as the inventor not not knowing 
you know, who we're helping because we can't now advise. I don't want to, it's so debilitating for people to have tinnitus that, you know, to be able to say, hey, this may help you. We realize now that's a very, very emotive subject. And so we have to be very careful. Yeah, understood. But it is it is helping a group of people, and we we don't know how how big. And uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't even think it's 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 going to be pretty pointless doing a study because I don't think even the British Tennis Association, I don't think they're even aware. They they say, look, this is so so varied that it'd be very difficult mm. to pinpoint exactly who benefits and who doesn't. Uh, one last question for you. This is on the subject of in ear monitors, and specifically, this this person was curious about. How are in-ear monitors you would use in a live situation different from in-ear monitors you might use in a studio? Is it possible for a single pair of in-ear monitors to do both functions well? Okay, so in-ear monitors, um, I don't know their exact history, but I'm guessing that in-ear monitors were developed mainly to isolate us from external noise while allowing us to hear um, sound and instructions and, and, and recordings in a live sound environment. So as far as I understand IEMs to be, that's where they came from. And um, that means that they're molded to individuals' ears and then they have what they call a balanced armature driver, which um, fires sound into our, into our, to our hearing. The problem with um, live sound um, in-ear monitors compared to something that you would use in the recording studio is I mean, I mean, we would treat it completely differently. In, in, in the pro audio side, we want to isolate and be as loud as possible um, so that we would be able to get the headroom required in order to get, you know, fold back working properly to an, to an artist. Whereas in a, a studio environment, you're going to be using them as a reference tool. Um, mm-hmm. Now, both, as far as I'm aware, work in a very similar way in that they use balanced armature drivers. And the reason they use BA drivers in... IEMs is because they're very easy to mold into resin and to silicon. Um, you can't create good acoustic chambers uh, inside IEMs, and so that's why mm. they haven't really, you know, been the answer to uh, referencing. Is because they are without wanting to. Well, I'll be factual. They're bits of tin that's folded into a square box that has a pulsating driver inside there. They're, they're designed purely to squirt out frequency. They're not designed to tune sound. Mm-hmm. That makes do, sense. do we have actually, as you're ta- describing it, I'm wondering, the, the IEMs do go fairly far into your ear, almost like an earplug. Do you still have that resonance issue that you would have listening to speakers or something like, or, you know, over the ear headphones? You have a lot more problems actually in terms of IEMs. Um, because that uh, you, you've basically gotten rid of all the available room for the sound to travel in neatly, and you've ended up putting it down a tube. Now, mm. um, if you put sound into a tube, you get what they call barrel effect. Uh, barrel effect is not not a good effect. Um, I'll give you the reason. If you if you create a pressure, so a, com- a, com- in a, a the, the component form of the wave, you take the compression form of the wave. As that sends in, as the driver then pulls back it pulls that compression wave apart. Interesting. Because you've got a vacuum coming behind the pressure. And that causes a lot of very 
annoying, frustrating, undesirable artifacts in a tube. Mm. So that's a lot of the problem that you hear with IEMs is to do with that. And you can't really get around that because you've, you're molding a shape and then you're putting a tube in to now hear your sound. So that, that therein lies the problem. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Those, yeah, the, the IEMs, the, the little tube that the sound actually comes out of is amazingly small. Yeah. So it's basically a pipe and you're just yeah. trying to, yeah. You try putting a speaker into a, a, a drinking straw, you know, that's effectively. And the way they, the way they try and get around a, a lot of the issues is they'll put more and more balanced armatures into the, into the mix. Um, I've seen one with 15 drivers in. Good luck. 15. 15. <laughs> so I'm very aware what happens when you have two sources. If you have two sources, you get crossover points and you get phase yeah. interference. And so I can't even listen to them. I can't <laughs> go near them. Um, they, they affect me in a very negative way, um, mm. any kind of IEM um, balanced armature device. That's interesting. Hmm. Um, but I get that they, they, they're very useful in live sense, and they're also useful in an isolation sense because a traditional earphone can't isolate anywhere near the degree that, that you can get with an proper IEM. I'm glad to hear you say that. I actually do use IEMs quite a bit, and it's for sound isolation. It's when I'm traveling or something like that. Yeah. And I've always hated every single pair I've ever gotten. I've hated how they sound. I've never been happy. So maybe my search is just futile. futile yeah. <laughs> there is no, just the technology isn't, uh, isn't, isn't meant for it. We're working on that. <laughs> okay yeah i was gonna say if you could just work on that uh in your spare time that i would really appreciate you've seen we're, we're into isolation i mean the whole reason that isolate exists as a product is because i mean people said to me hey you've just put a bit of metal in the ear there's no that that trans that transfers more sound i said no 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 it doesn't and it it doesn't because of resistance if if you think about an electrical cable and you cut it the reason that you don't get voltage traveling down that that cable anymore is because of the air gap it's because of resistance change well the same thing applies to hard metal compared with foam if i i'll give you an example if you had a, a studio door and it was made of foam on the other side of that door you would hear a very muddy sound you'd uh, you'd, you'd attenuate the sound but you'd hear what you'd hear would be quite a muddy and and and, and bassy and that's mm -hmm. what's happening with traditional foam earplugs and so what I realized is that if we have a bit of titanium metal and then we encapsulate that in foam so that it's a minimal amount of foam and the foam is just sealing the ear, you've effectively put a one-inch titanium door in your studio and you're now going to attenuate all those subsonic frequencies. And so that's what Isolate was, was, was done. There's a, quite a lot of thought process and approach to creating that earplug that not a lot of people were aware of. We tried to say it in our marketing, but, you know, people were like, well, it doesn't make sense, you know, well, okay. Yeah, so it was like having, instead of the, the whole door is made out of foam, now just the door seal is made Correct. out of foam and the <laughs> yeah. door is made out of titanium. So yeah, 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 that's it. I can't wait to get back to live shows in general, but I'm excited oh, to try yeah. out Isolate earplugs there as well because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always very careful to wear earplugs during shows. Not something yeah. I did in my youth, uh, but something I'm definitely mindful of now. We work with artists and producers, as you can imagine, because we've, we've, we're, we're really about them. And um, 
it's very it's been very difficult to see uh, all this suffering that's been going on. We I've got friends in in venues. I've got friends in touring, in sound, in production. We've had a very lucky, well, not lucky. We've had support in the UK that has helped a certain group of people, but not others. Um, and so we want to, we're, we're trying to do some things to help them as they come back, um, which you'll, again, I can't, I can't make any, uh, I can't reveal what it is, but we're, we're doing, we're doing what we can to help as a brand that's been doing okay, um, through it. But yeah, the, the, it, people don't see, um, really what's been going on and, you know, small bands and artists and venues, you know, overnight, they've seen not just a little bit of a reduction of income, but a total reduction. Yeah, it's going to be their time when this all comes back. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing the music industry make noise once again. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a that's a great note. Uh, I will say Ben and I were were really impressed with Calmer and uh, EarHD products. We're going to be looking forward to what you guys have coming down the road. Maybe just just give us where uh, where people can find you and and the Flare products. Yeah, so we're, we're Flare Audio, spelled F L A R E. A-U-D-I-O, flareaudio.com. You can visit our website where you've got all the latest products. You can definitely sign up to our newsletter. We don't uh, sell your data or do anything other than tell you about new and exciting products before we announce them on our website. So um, that's a good thing to do. Um, You can also follow us on social, uh, Flare Audio on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, We have, again, a a good following on there. Um, And Facebook's a good way to see how people are, are using our products and how they're engaging with them. Great. Awesome. We'll definitely link all of that in the show notes. Check the show notes for that information. Ben, anything to add? Uh, just thank you so much. Uh, thank you for what you're doing for us audio people. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. It's been a pleasure to be on, guys. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks very much for having me. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in diy recording just search for diy recording guys on facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support See you next week.